0: Have you ever noticed that the lower jaw is not protected in sports? Did you know that 10,800 concussions will happen today? This has been an upward trend for the past 50 years. I'm Dr. Michael Hutchison, a practicing neuromuscular dentist. When my son wanted to participate in football and rugby, I was afraid he was going to get a concussion. That fear led me to finding the missing link to reducing concussions. The fact is, the only part of the skull that is not protected in sports is the lower jaw. If you want to drastically reduce concussions there are three basic jaw positions that affect concussions and two of them are not good. The correct one is called physiologic jaw position. It will dissipate the force away from the brain. Knowing that I designed an appliance that put my son's jaw in the right place and as a result He was concussion-free from fifth grade all the way to senior year. This jaw position takes those 10,800 concussions today down to 28. It's the key to concussion protection. As a parent, this is what you need to know. It's extremely important that the device you are using is on the lower jaw. Thickness of the device is important. Most importantly, it must position and hold you in your own unique personal physiologic job position. So if your child goes out on the field with the correct job position, your son or daughter will not one of those 10,800 concussions today. Get yours today at powerplusmouthguard.com. Use the promo code POWERUP2023 for 10% off.
1: If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me tell you all about it. First of all, it's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast. All in one place. So download the free Anchor app now or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. This story was written and produced by your host, Ross Bliley, edited by Nikki Bliley. You can follow me on social media outlets such as Facebook and Twitter, music streaming providers, Spotify, Podchaser, Apple Podcasts, CastBox.fm, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Casts. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, then anchor.fm and patreon.com is where you can find me. Just search under Ross's Fancast. On the World Wide Web at rossbliley.com is where all my episodes are uploaded. The soundtrack is provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. Thanks for your support, and I always appreciate feedback. Last time on the Pigskin Tales podcast, we learned that Mr. Nevers played professional football for the Jacksonville Pros, Duluth Eskimos, and the Chicago Cardinals. We also learned that he still holds the record for most points scored in an NFL game and that his record for most rushing touchdowns scored in a game has been tied twice in NFL history. In this modern day of professional football, will that record ever be broken? This time on the Pigskin Tales Podcast, we learn more about the big dog's life after football. So sit back, kick your feet up, grab a drink, and enjoy the Pigskin Tales Podcast. Part 8. Coaching In the coming months after announcing that he was retiring from professional football, Ernie had gotten calls to be an assistant coach at some Big Ten universities. However, he was headstrong on coaching for Pop Warner at Stanford. On March 6, 1932, it was reported in the Santa Ana Register that Ernie Nevers, former All-American fullback, is slated to join the coaching staff at his alma mater, Stanford, starting on September 15th. He will be co-coaching with Murray Cuttlebeck, the Stanford Grays, also known as the Goof Squad. Warner told the press that
2: it's a very important position.
1: After this season, Pop resigned as head coach of the Stanford Indians to take the head coaching job at Temple University. I can surmise then that Nevers was initially offered the position of head coach, but refused because he only wanted to be an assistant. The head coaching job was then offered to and accepted by offensive line coach Claude E. Thornhill. In Thornhill's first season as the Indians head coach, the team had won eight games, lost once and tied once. In addition to earning a trip to play in the National Championship Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California, the team had also won the Pacific Coast Championship title. On New Year's Day in 1934, the heavily favored Indians fell 7-0 to the Columbia Lions. This was a huge upset victory for the Lions because Stanford had only been scored on four times all season and only lost to Princeton. For three days leading up to the big game, the weather in Southern California was uncharacteristically wet. The Pasadena Fire Department had to pump the field dry from all the rain that turned it into a lake. The muddy field did both teams no favors in making it easy. In the first quarter, the field was so slick that no team could get a good handle on the ball, let alone score a touchdown. However, in the middle of the second quarter, the Lions offense ran a trick play that made the Indians' defensive line key on two backfield players. In turn, the quarterback for the Lions, Cliff Montgomery, spun his way around the weak side edge and ran it in for a 17-yard touchdown. The extra point was good, making the game 7-nil. The Indians and the Valboys roared back as best they could, but they just couldn't get their footing on solid ground. In the end, it was 7-nil Lions. The win for the Lions was deemed the greatest victory over Stanford in Columbia University history. It was also deemed one of the biggest upsets in Rose Bowl history at the time, Next season, the Indians came back just as strong. This time their record was 9-0 and 1 heading into the 1935 Rose Bowl. Their opponent was the undefeated Alabama Crimson Tide. The weather was a bit fairer in this one, however, the tide took it to the Indians and steamrolled to a 29-13 victory over the Vowboys. In 1936, Nevers helped the Indians to a third consecutive Pacific Coast Conference title, as well as a third consecutive trip to the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. A third time's the charm in winning the national title, right? The Indians and the SMU Mustangs clashed on January 1, 1936. Stanford was 7-1 and Southern Methodist was undefeated. According to rosebowlhistory.com, the game was a sellout of 84,784 fans. In the first quarter, it was Indians running back Bill Pullman who scored on a one-yard rushing touchdown. SMU could not counter with a touchdown of their own. It was all defense from there. Finally, Thornhill's Val Boys came through and won a Rose Bowl for their coach. After this season, Nevers resigned as assistant coach of the Indians and took the head coaching job at Lafayette College in Easton, Pennsylvania. It was reported by the Associated Press and published in the Oakland Tribune on January 17, 1936, that Nevers succeeds Herb McCracken as the head coach after McCracken resigned after 12 seasons the locals were so excited to learn that an all-american and pro football legend was coming to their town that they decided to throw a parade in his honor. The town was completely shut down for a day. Once the happiness and excitement cooled down and the football team got down to business, it ended in a disappointment of a season. Lafayette College went 1-8 and eight with Nevers as their head coach. After the season, Nevers resigned after accepting a role at the University of Iowa as the running backs and tight ends coach in March of 1937. Nevers held the role for two seasons, helping the Hawkeyes compile a miserable 1-7 record as well as a 1-8 record. After two more losing seasons as a college coach in the late 30s, Nevers decided to try his hand at coaching in the pros for a third time. The owner of the Chicago Cardinals, Charlie Bidwell, signed Mr. Nevers to a one-year contract to succeed former Cardinals teammate, Millen Creighton. The Cardinals were 2-8 under Creighton in 1938, and with Bidwell signing Nevers, he's hoping the fans will not only love the hiring, but fall back in love with the team. When asked why he chose to hire Nevers as the head coach,
2: Bidwell said, I consider myself extremely fortunate in being able to obtain Nevers. He unquestionably is one of the best known figures in football. As a player, he ranks with Eckersall, Grange, Thorpe, and Nagurski. As a coach, he has had extensive experience in both professional and college football and established himself firmly in the affection of Cardinal followers when he starred for and coached the team. Other National League coaches always had the utmost respect for him. I pledge him the full cooperation of the Cardinals staff in his attempt to bring the team to the front in the National League where it belongs. At the end of the 1939 NFL season,
1: the Cardinals were dead last in every category. The team's win-loss record was a pitiful 1-10. and Nevers could not revive a struggling team. In February 1940, it was reported in the Los Angeles Times that Nevers had mailed his resignation letter to Charlie Bidwell, noting that he wished to reside permanently in San Francisco. His coaching career was over. He intended to return to Stanford to obtain a degree in physical education. Part 9. The Military In September of 1940, Nevers enrolled as a non-traditional college student at his alma mater. Over the course of the next year, he completed his degree in physical education. If you're wondering, he did not become a physical education teacher. The next phase of his life was that he enlisted in the United States Marine Corps at the age of 39. camp was five weeks long, beginning in August of 1942, held in San Diego, California. Once complete, it was reported in the Santa Ana Register that he was given the rank of Captain, serving with the Aviation Ground Forces. About six months later, it was reported that Nevers was stationed in Lansing, Michigan at the Old Gunnery School for a few weeks. He was then transferred back to California to be stationed at the Santa Barbara Marine Air Base. While stationed at the air base in Santa Barbara, an unfortunate ailment overtook Ernie's wife, May. She was rushed to the hospital in San Francisco. She was diagnosed with pneumonia. As soon as Ernie was notified of the situation, he too rushed to the hospital, but unfortunately he didn't make it in time. She passed away peacefully. She was so young and full of life. At age 33, she had a lot of life left, but it was just an unfortunate time that God called her home. Ernie mourned the death of May as long as he could until it was time to go back to serving his country. It was reported by Russ Newland of the Reno Gazette Journal on October 23rd of 1943 that Nevers was finally notified of his first World War II assignment overseas in the Pacific Theater. Nelson Cullenward, a former sports writer, sent a letter to Russ Newland noting, We said goodbye and the big guy looked like a graphite commando with pistol and shoulder holster, a long knife in his belt and a tin helmet. In my opinion, that's a scary dude to envision. While Nevers was stationed in the South Pacific Theater during World War II, he was asked by one of his crew if he had thought of any plans after the mission was over. He happened to mention that he would love to go back to San Francisco and start an NFL franchise. On April 9, 1944, in the Herald and Review newspaper, It was reported by the Chicago Associated Press that Nevers was announcing his post-war program of seeking an NFL franchise for San Francisco. He made his plans known in a letter to Superior Court Judge Michael L. McKinley of Chicago.
2: Dear Mr. McKinley, this is Ernie Nevers. Some people know me as the Big Dog. Some people know me as Coach. Some people know me as... Big Blonde. Most people know me because I scored six rushing touchdowns in an NFL game. But what I'd like to do once I get out of this gritty bloody war over here is I want to sit down with Mr. Layden and I want to talk about starting up an NFL franchise in San Francisco. Yours truly, Ernie Big Dog Nevers.
1: He said he wanted to have an open negotiation with President Elmer Layden, a former college football opponent, once he returned to San Francisco from the Pacific Theater. About five months later, it was reported by Russ Newland that our famous Captain Ernie Nevers had returned home from the South Pacific battles after 10 months. When asked, Nevers said that he couldn't officially talk about his mission but he offered that he was in charge of a group of ground personnel of a specific squadron. Also, when he was pressed about athletics the servicemen enjoyed while on base,
2: he said that Softball was the most popular and that it was a tie between basketball and volleyball.
1: Mr. Newland also asked about football and
2: snakes. Yes, snakes. Nevers told him that they played some touch football between the tents and were beginning to put on some boxing shows when I left. He also noted, I never saw any big snakes. The only ones I saw were pink coral snakes. They're little, but they pack an awful wallop. I heard there were big snakes in the jungle, but I never went looking for any.
1: By the time Nevers had returned back to San Fran in October and had an interview with Newland, It was reported on December 22, 1944, in the Fresno Bee, that Captain Nevers was promoted to major and would be stationed at Treasure Island. No, it wasn't the resorting casino, if you're chuckling about that. While stationed at Treasure Island, he became the assistant athletics officer of the Marine Corps in charge of activities. In February of 1945, It was reported by the Santa Rosa Press Democrat that Major Nevers was relocated to the Marine Corps base in San Diego. He was then promoted to be the next athletic officer of the Marine Corps taking over for Major Charles Church. A month later, journalists with the Chicago Daily Tribune were in attendance in Los Angeles for a meeting with Major Ernie Nevers, Lieutenant Colonel Dick Hanley, and President John L. Keeshan. Someone snapped a photo of Nevers putting pen to paper for the front page of the sports section. Nevers is shown signing a three-year contract as Dick Hanley's assistant for the new All-America Conference Football Club in Chicago named the Rockets. Duties for the new job would begin as soon as he was discharged from the Marine Corps. At the end of May 1945, Journalists from the Petaluma Agnes Courier found out and reported that Major Ernie Nevers was subject to leave the Marine Corps soon and that Major George Esau was taking over as athletic officer for Nevers. Since the rockets had not yet started, Nevers was going to be working for Keishin's trucking company, known as the Transcontinental Freight Lines. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. This story will continue in the next episode. This story was also written and produced by your host Ross Bliley, edited by Nikki Bliley. You can follow me on social media outlets such as Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to the show today through Spotify, Podchaser, Apple Podcasts, Castbox.fm, PocketCasts. Breaker, and Radio Public. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to anchor.fm. On the World Wide Web at rossbliley.com is where all my episodes are uploaded. The soundtrack is provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. Thanks for your support, and I always appreciate feedback. Sources of information were found on the web at newspapers.com, Articles retrieved from Wikipedia. dot com, nineteen hundred 1900 to nineteen o nine prices and wages by decade from the Library Guide at the University of Missouri, YouTube, Pro Football Hall of dot com, History. dot com, The Encyclopedia Britannica, the
3: National Football Foundation, and Pro Researchers. dot org. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, aka the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode